This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our Advent sermon series, Make Straight the Way. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. O Son of God, we wait for Thee, we long for Thine appearing. Uh, The last two weeks have really been good, as we got to hear from Brooks and Dawn, and they've really led us to identify with the longings of God's people for justice, for peace, and for presence, to explore the tension in our own hearts as we celebrate the coming or the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, but we also long for his return, as Brooks was talking about this morning. There's still that, it's something still not quite right. So at the outset, I hope that we would Uh, Think about this today, and we would rediscover or rekindle the glory of that first Advent season. We would also be reminded of a future and final Advent that is certain. So I also um, want us to think about the opportunity we have to find very real uh, and wonderful daily coming or advent of Jesus, and that is available to those who diligently seek him and long for his appearing. So even in the meantime, we don't have to uh, wait hopelessly or just grin and bear it. Jesus is very real and very near and very precious, and you are very precious to him. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. This morning, Heavenly Father, you are a God full of mercy who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare a way for our salvation. So give us grace to heed the warnings we hear and to fight the drift in our own lives. We may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So our journey together over the last couple of weeks has taken us uh, with God's people through their bondage in Egypt, um, to them in the wilderness after the Exodus, and now to the period of the prophets. It really finds its apex in the exile. There was the prophets spoke over a period that preceded the exile, uh, where they were taken off into captivity um, during that time, and then even some time after that. Um, but really, the, the, the prophets season of the prophets or that epoch of time uh, is marked by humiliation and loss. Um, These days were difficult and this season of the prophets was difficult and the people ended up devastated and far from home because of their own sin and rebellion in many ways. Um, So as I was thinking about that and getting ready for this morning, I was Wondering if you could relate to some of those stages in life like I can. To feel like a victim of circumstance. Um, The Hebrews found themselves in a bitter place through no fault of their own, hoping for better days and for things to go their way for a change. Um, Maybe at other times you feel like you're in the place between, like the Hebrews in the wilderness. We're not ready for what's next, So we get impatient and discouraged, even been out of shape. We really shouldn't be griping, (laughs) but we know something's missing and it's just out of reach. 
that there's also a place that we find ourselves in that's our own doing. We got comfortable with our sin. Oh, we adapt to the culture around us. We tip our hat to God. We turn inward and become idolatrous and tell ourselves that we can manage it until we can't anymore. Um, and we're powerless to free ourselves. We're unable to cross to the other side and we're dismayed to discover that maybe we, uh, as Pogo would say, uh, I, looked, I saw the enemy and it is, it's me, right? Um, so listen to how the psalmist describes this journey. So we've been taking this journey from Egypt to wilderness now to the prophets of the time of exile. Listen to Psalm 106, and I've just pulled some verses out here and there, so we won't have it on the screen. But you're welcome to try to follow along. Verse 6, Psalm 106, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. They rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Verse 13, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. Impatient. In the desert, they gave in to their craving. In the wilderness, they put God to the test. Verse 21, they forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. Verse 24, they despised the pleasant land. They didn't believe in the promise. And this is a word we're going to anchor to a little bit here in just a moment, this promise idea. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. Verse 35, they mingled with the nations and adopted the customs. They worshipped their idols and they became a snare to them. Verse 43, many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. Verse 47, the psalmist cries out, save us, Lord, O God, and gather us from the nations. Can you sense the frustration? Um, could you relate maybe to this pattern? How many times has God been good to me and I have forgotten? How many times has he been there when I've cried out uh, for mercy and he's forgiven? Um, and then I forget or I drift and try as they might, the Hebrews knew there was something terribly wrong with their ability to get it right. That's probably the biggest frustration for me. It's not that um, I'd get it wrong. It's that I can't get it right, even if I want to, even when I try. They wanted to relate to this God who's in covenant with them, and it just kept coming up short. And so God sent the prophets to drive that point home. The prophets in the Old Testament period were spokesmen, mouthpieces for God. They were set apart as a conduit of his revelation. This was not a glamorous role, and these men did not aspire to this office. Uh, let's see, um, quick journey through Jonah had to be vomited into his assignment. Um, Amos was minding his own business. He's, the, he's where we get, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, right? He was out. Tending sheep, didn't want anything to do with it. Um, Ezekiel, his wife died as a sermon illustration. That was pretty brutal. Um, Hosea was told to marry a prostitute and continue in that relationship. And Jeremiah got to lay on his side for a year and use dung as cooking fuel. Although he did get a little bit of dispensation, God told him to use human dung first. And he argued his point, and God said, okay, you can use animal dung. 
So, so yeah, these guys were, uh, yeah, this was the happening group. They were sometimes referred to as seers. Sometimes people would call them seers. Um, but their most common title, even for themselves, was nabi, which means one who is called. In other words, I didn't have anything to do with this. It's not me. It's not my words. Somebody else. They didn't really have a choice in this. And the role that these men, um, these called men played throughout the Old Testament, we see shifting over time. So originally they were, um, early on they were prophet leaders, and then they became prophet advisors, and then ultimately prophet messengers. You can almost sense the distancing that was happening as people would follow them and then go to them, and then eventually they're just yelling at me, and I wish they'd shut up. After 430 years in Egypt and the exodus that Moses led, the children of Israel wandered around in the wilderness for about 40 of those years and eventually entered the Promised Land. For several centuries, they were governed by judges who functioned as the prophet leaders until they ended up with a monarchy, which was against the better judgment of another prophet, Samuel. These early kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, had relationships with prophets as advisors who served as a conduit of God's guidance. Within 50 years of the nation of Israel dividing into two kingdoms after Solomon, so the, na the nation of Israel divided into the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes forming Israel and Judah, the role of the prophet, that's really when the, the role shifted dramatically. Many of these are the prophets that make up the books of the Old Testament that we know about. There's 17 of them. These men prophesied over a period of 400 years, give or take, starting about 150 years before the destruction of the northern kingdom in Israel in 722, following through to the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile from the Babylonians and the southern kingdom in 586, and then extending past the exile, into the, past the 70 years of exile into the return until prophecies abruptly ceased with Malachi, about 400 years before the, end of, before the beginning of the New Testament period. And that's where we're going to stop in thinking about um, this, this historical journey. Or the, and I want us to kind of come back to what the, what the prophet's role was. Um, and and kind of how they communicated. So the message that God would give the prophets to communicate was almost always grander than the specific prediction at hand. The, the, the thing that was happening right in the forefront was there was usually something else going on. The fulfillment of these prophecies and the writings were always part of this outgo, outworking and, and ongoing, unfolding plan of God's redemption for his people. Feedback? I felt it. <laughs> this is actually what makes understanding the prophets a little tricky. There's almost always more than one thing going on, and they tend to be both predictive, so there's kind of a, a, far, a for future element, um, a, con a contemporary context. Something's about to happen. You need to be ready. Um, but there's almost always a typological uh, kind of a far future redemptive implication that's tied in. And so judging time and distance is a little difficult, and the prophets wrestled with this. It's kind of like looking at, looking at a picture from the front and not knowing 
what, how far is it between this peak and this peak and this peak? So a prophet may look down and say, I see the day of the Lord. And on that day, this happens. And on that day, this happens. And on that day, and it looks pretty flat. It looks almost like kind of one day. It's all lined up right there. But if I take a bird's eye or I pivot to the side, I say, oh, there's some, there's some things happening. There's some time that happens between. And that's part of what we wrestle with in understanding these. But for the most part, we recognize that the prophets were um, issuing warnings and calls for repentance. And there was an immediate need for that. Um, they were prosecuting attorneys on God's behalf. And so to that end, these messages typically consisted of three parts. And so we're going to look at the first two first and three examples. There was an indictment and there was a verdict. A verdict of judgment with a sentence. So let's, let's start with Ezekiel chapter 33. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgression and our sins are upon us. We rot away because of them. How can we live? So say to them, God says to Ezekiel, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? You can hear him pleading, Why will you do, why do, you do this? O house of Israel, and you, son of man, say to your people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness, and the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds will be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. So, so much for karma and cosmic scales, right? Apparently, it's one strike rule. So the prophet Amos uh, layers on here. He was actually a little earlier than Ezekiel, but he says to the nation of Israel in the north, go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years, burn the leavened bread and thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declare the sovereign Lord. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and a lack of bread in every town, and yet you would not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what I will do. Prepare to meet thy God, which is a completely bone-chilling phrase, <laughs> statement in the scripture. Prepare to meet thy God. So then Isaiah chapter 5 issues an indictment. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil put darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. He said, go and tell this people, ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see, hear and understand and be healed. And then I said, for how long, Lord? How long? And he said, until the cities lie ruined without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away to exile and the land is forsaken. They weren't good enough, religious enough, or smart enough. It's tough, because those are all the things I try, right? I try to be good enough. I think I can just get 
if I just try harder, right? Or if I'm religious enough, and then I find God mocking their religious exercise because he knows my heart. He knows the idolatry in my heart. He sees it. And then I think I can think my way or sense my way out of this. But embedded throughout all of the messages of indictment and judgment is a recurring third element. And I want to end here. It's the promise. So remember these three things are found over and over. And as we're reading through the, the, the reading plan with the Axis, we're in the prophets right now. So you're in luck. You can practice this at home. Watch for the indictment, the verdict, and the promise. You'll see it over and over and over. After Ezekiel tells Judah, you're on the hook and your righteousness will not deliver you, he says, behold, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. And I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. I will seek the lost. I will bring them back. I will bind the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them. And then I will do something else. He says, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and he'll feed them and they will be, and he will be their shepherd and I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken and I will make with them a covenant of peace. Now, this is Ezekiel who's prophesying much, long, much longer after David's death. So who is this servant David he's going to, you know, so here's that typological fulfillment and we start to see playing out with the prophets. But there's, a, there's a promise here. Then prophet uh, Amos tells Israel, prepare to meet thy God, and then follows that up with, seek me and live. Seek good and not evil. The Lord God Almighty will be with you. In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter and repair the broken walls. I will bring my people Israel back from exile. And then after Isaiah is told to prophesy a, spirit, a judgment of spiritual senselessness on the people, he delivers this message for Ahaz. Behold, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. This, this, we know what this sounds like. We know what this is referring to on this side. But this was also something that happened right then. He said, he will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. So there was actually something going on there. And this, was, this promise was also related to the son Isaiah was about to have. But Isaiah expands on this just a couple of chapters later and gives us some more context around this far future element of what he was talking about when he said, behold, virgin will have a son. He said for, in chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, which he had just prophesied, would come. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the first of all, Prince of Peace, of greatness is government and peace. There will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. There's a promise. So, yes, we've made a mess of it and our efforts aren't working. We're victims of circumstance and others. We're guilty and broken by our own sinfulness. We've been indicted and a verdict is rendered. And this is bad news. But in the midst of this reality, there is a promise of peace. 
and hope and light and a promise that bookends nearly every indictment handed down by one of God's prophets. I'm going to be, I'm going to level with you I'm here. I haven't had a very good week. I've been down. Uh, there have been moments this week where I felt like the victim of circumstance. Um, there have been moments when I've been impatient and ungrateful in the place between. And frankly, I've committed deliberate sins and I'm guilty of unintentional faults. Um, I've let myself down and others. And uh, the doldrums um, that I'm coming out of, thankfully, but they were made more acute by the feeling of guilt that sometimes comes with that. I don't know if you relate to this. Um, here I am feeling sorry for myself, knowing that other people have it a lot worse than me. Right? So it's kind of an unpleasant place, and I resonated with the psalmist in Psalm 31 when he said, I cried out in my alarm, I'm cut off from before your eyes, O God. I needed some good news, and that's what we all need. Is there hope for us in the prophets, the promises of the prophets? The Apostle Peter thought so. When he wrote in 2 Peter 3, you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. When you hear that voice scoffing, mocking, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise that he's going to make it right? He says, remember the predictions of the prophets. So yes, there is good news for us this morning because there is someone who was prophesied to come who did have it worse than you and me. And this one would, too, be the ultimate victim of circumstance, of malicious people, even suffering God's wrath on behalf of others. Isaiah draws our attention to a promise personified, one whose identity, God with us, is defined by his divine affinity for us. This one, this Emmanuel, this shepherd, this child, this servant, this one who would forgive us and clean up our mess and pick up our pieces, this one who would break the cycle over and over from Psalm 106, just the cycle. He would be indicted instead of us, judged and condemned in our place, and his gift to us would be his righteousness and peace. So it's the promise of the prophets that we cling to during our down days, our disappointments and the long periods of waiting, a promise of a servant who will bring peace, a promise of restoration and abundance, a promise of being found, of coming home, of our senses being quickened again, the promise of God with us someday and right now. So Christian, I would ask you, encourage you to bask in this promise, the power, his power on your behalf. Lean into the anticipation of the final advent when we'll all be fully and finally realized Pray to rediscover the hope, the love, the joy, the peace that's available to us in Jesus Christ and resolve to stop trying and believe this more. Stop counting on yourself. Just relax for a second. Find your rest in his work and let him do this for you. This is how one becomes a, a, a happy, fulfilled Christian that can live in the tension. If you're on the sidelines and still considering the way, don't miss the possibility that this could be true. Just maybe what you've been longing for. 
Seven centuries removed is a long time for details like this to be coincidence. The circumstances of one man's life of 33 short years fulfilling 300 prophecies such as these, what does that say about his claims? Think about that. There's nothing more important than that. That's how you become a Christian. So what better response to our appreciation for and anticipation of the promised one and to bend our knee to him this morning and for believers who take the sacred name of Christ upon your lips, partaking of the Lord's table together is our incredible privilege. And this is a moment of thanksgiving and remembering, never to be taken for granted or entered into thoughtlessly. The very act of this taking and dipping and eating proclaims the Lord's death until he arrives, until he comes, until he advents. This is our hope playing out. So we get to act out our hope this morning. So we remember and long for Jesus in the bread. God with us, our suffering servant and our promise fulfilled. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me so we're no longer slaves, wandering or exiled. We now share a new identity in Christ. We also remember and anticipate Jesus in the fruit of the vine, the juice, the wine, as our savior and substitute, the wrath absorber for our sins who bore full undiluted, bore this, carried this full undiluted penalty for sin on our behalf. He said, this cup is the new covenant. Remember what the prophet said, it's going to be a covenant of peace? There's a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He's forgiven our transgressions. He's reconciled our natures back to God and cleansed us by his blood, just as the prophets foretold. So come, receive this grace anew this morning. Servers will be on both sides of the podium. We'll have a self-service station here in the back. Marvel in this moment as we anticipate his glorious and inevitable return. And let's pray. Lord, we confess that all glory belongs to you. Father, because in your tender mercy you gave your only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption who made by his obedient sacrifice for himself once and for all a full, perfect, and sufficient satisfaction for our sins. And it's good news. And he asked that we would remember him in this meal. So we do that now, and we'll do it as often as possible until he comes again, Lord. Amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our Advent sermon series, Make Straight the Way. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Oh, Son of God, we wait for Thee, we long for Thine appeal.